Hello and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center's Victoria's Living Podcast. Victoria's Living Christian Center is a church that strives to stand for goodness and is committed to encourage and show a better way. A church whose vision is to see God's people living a victorious life. This is accomplished through community outreach, education, healthy living, and support groups while still providing spiritual growth. Our goal is to meet the needs of man, spiritually as well as naturally. So welcome and enjoy. left off at letter number three and we are still doing our screw tape letters series um we know that the uh just to give a, a synopsis or a refresh of what is this about it's a book that we are reading currently called the screw tape letters by c.s lewis and this book talks about the uh conversation or letters that are written from a upper demon down to a lower new demon and what basically um the gist of the story of the book is that they're trying to prevent this young man known as the patient they're trying to prevent them from coming in and being um having his life turned over to christ they're trying to prevent him from receiving salvation so the the upper demon is writing uh to the lower demon on ideas and tips on strategies on how to prevent this young man known as the patient from becoming saved and receiving Christ as his personal savior. So we did letters one and two. Letters one and two basically talked about uh, reason and reality. And then the other topic was about distracting the Christian mind. And we talked about how the enemy can get in and um, mess with us with what is what is reasoning or how we can reason with reality, how we can reason with our salvation and, re and reason with the fact that Christ even exists. And in chapter two, it talks about distracting the Christian mind, like trying to keep our minds off of focus on the things of God, the more focus on us and our agendas and not trying to reprogram our minds to think like Christ and to uh, take on his agenda. So now on letter number three, it's on relationships. Now, in this letter, Screwtape suggests that Wormwood focus on the patient's relationship with his mother. By cooperating with Glubos, uh, the demon who was working on the mother, Screwtape imparts secrets on how to slowly deteriorate the friendship. So um, the little heading, the, the, the quote that is uh, highlighted in this letter is, you must bring him to a condition in which he can practice self-examination for an hour without discovering any of those facts about himself which are perfectly clear to anyone who has ever lived in the same house with him or worked in the same office okay so basically um screw tape wants um wormwood the lower demon to focus to have the patient focus on uh, his 
his uh, self-examination and not, not, not particularly um, focusing on what is what he really is about, but focusing on himself as in terms of of scripture, in terms of what the word says, not as himself as a person, but examining himself, lighting himself up with the word, and not dealing with the issues that he had within himself. So let's start off with Romans 12 and 2. Let's go to Romans 12 and 2. Some of you um, have the scripture references. If someone can find Romans 12 and 2. And also 1 Timothy 4, 16. So let's go to Romans 12 and 2. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Praise the Lord, prophetess. And the others, uh-oh. That sounds like you don't feel good. You all right? My thing is like frozen. All right. The other scripture is First Timothy four sixteen. Someone get First Timothy four sixteen, please. I'm having a hard time with my. Okay, here we go. Not to use my phone. First Timothy four sixteen. First Timothy four sixteen says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Okay. So how is God working from the center outward to transform our conduct to his standard? Based on those two scriptures, how is God working from the center outward, from the inside out. What is he doing? I think from the first one, you know, the transformation. He's working on a full transformation. Um, right. From the center outward, he's he's focusing because twelve Romans twelve and two says what? What did it say? Uh, be be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Of our mind. So we know that within ourselves, our mind is like our our, our thought processes. It's, it's how we think, you know, on our minds. So by having that change, having that renewed mind, it's working from the inside out. We don't worry about the outward appearance of how we look, but we're more focusing on the inter, inch, inside. See, the Pharisees in, in the scripture and the Bible um, Jesus talked to the Pharisees and told them about how they're so concerned about the outward of the cup and that are worried about what's on the inside of the cup. This is the same uh, scenario that, that that's being described in this question, um, working from the center outward. You worry about the things within yourself. And once you start having that change within yourself, your outward look, your outward disposition, your outward, even how you're, you're, you look physically will change once you take on the inward change and start living and serving the Lord. 
you know, like well, I remember when I first came to Salvation, I dressed a certain way and I wore certain things and I looked a certain way when I first came to the Lord. But once I received the Holy Spirit and God did a change on the inside of me, I was like, I, it was like a 360 for me. I stopped doing a lot of things that I was doing. I didn't dress the way I was dressing. I was uh, really, really changed from the inside out. So um, he gives us a new heart and he also puts in us new desires, new things that we want. You know, we don't want those things that we used to, those, those cravings and those desires that we once had before. We no longer desire when we start taking on Christ and we start allowing God to change us from the inside out. Amen. Anyone has anything else they want to add to it? I'm not going to be the only one talking. <laughs> Some of y'all better say something. Um, so anyway, your new desires, your new motives, once God starts working on you, some of the things that you used to do, some of the things that you used to say, places you used to go, you don't, you know, it's not like you're restricted from going there. You just don't desire to go there. You know what I'm saying? You, you, it's not like, you, you know, oh, you can't do this. You can't, you, you have a, you have a choice. God still gives us uh, the ability to choose. He still gives us, hey, brother Ian. How you doing there, sir? God still gives us the ability to choose. It's just that um, we don't want to do it because we know that we love God and we know this is something that God would not would not like for us to do. So we just, our desires is to please God. Our desires become to, to serve the Lord. So those things that we used to do, we still have the capacity to do it. We still have the ability to do it, but because of the changes on the inside, those things that we once did and that, that, that was sinful, we don't want to do anymore. Right? Right. Okay. The battle starts right. in your mind. That's where it starts. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Minister Kyle. The battle starts in your <laughs> mind. Amen. So, anyone else have anything you want to say? Okay, so now he talks about um, tempting him, the first method of temptation. What is the first method of temptation that he brings on um, the patient? And question number two is found in paragraph number two. So if you go to the letter, letter number three, and look at paragraph number two, it, the answer is right there. What is the first method of temptation that he uh, puts on the patient. Uh, oh, maybe that's not the second paragraph, but yeah. Without reading it thoroughly, I was just throwing it out there. The t uh, his concern for his mother. Oh no! His, no. Inner thoughts. his inner thoughts. His inner thoughts. Yeah, keep it. Keep his mind on his inner life. He thinks. He thinks his conversion is something inside him, and his attention is therefore chiefly turned at present to the states of his own mind. So what he tries to do is, he tries to tell Wormwood to encourage the patient to consider his inner thoughts, highly spiritual things, so as to turn the man away from his regular thoughts. Um, that is his first temptation. Like focus on what, what his opinion is about it, what he thinks it should be, not the mind of Christ, not thinking on the thoughts of God. Okay. 
He wants him to focus on his, his, his agenda, not trying to hear what God is saying. That makes sense? Yes. So, so he's saying that if he suggests that he keeps his mind focused on him and focus on his agenda, that he really can't hear the thoughts in the mind of, of God, like his opinion of what is uh, spiritual things. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's not trying to communicate with God. He's trying to just focus on his thoughts and his opinions and his agenda. You have something you want to say, Pastor John? No. Okay. All right. So let's go on to number three. Let's go to John 14 and 15, and 1 John 5 and 3, and Ephesians 6 and 6. Can okay, someone first, get... 1 John 14 15 is, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Okay. 1 John 5 and 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. And Ephesians 6 and 6 says, not with eye service as men pleases, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, so he looks at the difference between conversion and commitment. And Screwtape says the patient thinks his conversion is something inside him. What is conversion if it's more than just a commitment to heart change? What is the difference between what? Okay, let's look at the words conversion and commitment. When I looked at the terms conversion and commitment, conversion is defined as the process of change from one form to another, okay? So conversion is a process of change from one form to another. A commitment is dedicated to a cause. So, when you are converted, when there's a conversion that takes place, there is a change. There is a permanent change from one form to another. A commitment is just being dedicated to the cause. You can be committed but, but not have an inward change or a conversion. You can be to committed to, 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 to the church but yet not be converted to the point where you are changed. When I think of this, I think of John 15 and 7, where it says, If ye abide in me, and my word abide in you, ye shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Because there is a meshing of wills. There is a meshing of your will and God's will. Because if, if you abide in him and he abide in you, then what he wills is what you will will. Right. If you love God, you will also love what he wills. Um, love and obedience cannot be separated. Um, 
So when you're committed to something, you are dedicated to that cause. You are, you are committed, you are locked in. And then with conversion, you are changed. So conversion is more than just commitment to a heart change. It's like an actual change, a meshing or reprogramming or renewing mm -hmm. as Romans 12 and two says, you know? So an inward conversion should produce outward change in our attitude, actions, and behavior. You will actually see a change. And a lot of you know that when you came to Christ, and when you got saved and you got filled with the Holy Ghost, if you sit back and thought about how you changed, people even saw your change. You change. I mean, you mm -hmm. were no longer the same person. You became committed to 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 salvation. You became committed to God. You can you commit yourself to His ways, and along with that, a conversion or a change took place. Amen. Anyone mm -hmm. want to add to it, or anyone feel different? what we're saying Amen. and it's also a process it's also a process mm -hmm. uh-huh can you can you elaborate on that when i say process is mm -hmm. when you first get converted you have the change in the heart when you're when you're walking down the aisle something hits you the holy ghost speaks to you and you have to change your heart for your immediate conversion as you go with as you move forward in christ there's things that you're going to see. Well, God's going to show you in, in, in the process of your conversion is going to just going to fall off because now your your will is moving out of the way. And there's some things that you're going to you're going to take on as the mind of Christ and the mm -hmm. heart of Christ. And then as you grow as you grow older, you know, as you move older in in the um, in the faith you grow and more things fall off. It's not always, it's not immediate because there's some things that God has to teach us about us. Right, and right. even in, in this chapter, we see that there's some things that the patient didn't didn't want to address about himself, but he pointed to other people. And right. so that's where we have to be mm -hmm. careful that when we're when we're looking at conversion, are we pointing fingers to judge or we're looking inward? Is that what is it? about me that needs to be changed or some things that's in me that still that needs to fall off that needs to be converted right. in reference to the mind of Christ if that makes sense that makes good sense okay. very good I'm, a, I'm awake now <laughs> I'm so glad you are <laughs> Girl, I, I was knocked out I know you hey. <laughs> I'm so glad you are awake um, that's very yeah, good that's like oh, the... go ahead go ahead I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like the Bible says, you know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is, like she said, a process. It takes time. If you think about like a caliper becoming a butterfly, it takes a time for that change to happen. A metamorphosis takes place. Yes, a metamorphosis. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because we all know some saints that ain't and they've been in church for 50 years and they ain't had that com they ain't had that conversion yet. Lord, <laughs> yes. And that's <laughs> where, yeah, and that's the committed to the cause. They're, they're committed to the cause, but right, right. not allowing the conversion to take place. Mm -hmm. See the difference? Conversion outweighs commitment. Conversion means you change, you change, and you take on Christ. You take on his attributes. His will becomes your will. Committed, you're just there, 
because it's the thing to do. I get up and I go to church every Sunday because I've been told that's the thing to do. But you're not running to the house of God, looking for God. You're not going to the house of God, expecting a change, seeking his face. You're just going because it's Sunday and it's the thing to do. That's commitment. That's the difference between commitment and a conversion. Very good. Very good. Now, and um, one of the, the, the things that worm, the screw tape want wormwood, wormwood to do is have the patient practice an hour um, of self-examination um, without discovering any of those facts about himself, which are perfectly clear to anyone who's ever lived in the same house with him or worked in the same office. So what does it mean by having him focus on his thoughts on his spiritual matters, you know, what'll happen when he, what happens when you begin to focus on your thoughts and on your, on your agenda, like we said before, you, you, you begin to, you begin to miss out on the Christian duties, so to speak. Um, Good scripture that I found in this is James chapter 1, 22 to 25. Let's go there. This is not a scripture that they gave us, but when we were talking about it and I was studying it, James chapter 1, through 25. So when you are focusing more on thoughts and, and, and you're dwelling on spiritual matters, the patient will begin to neglect the obvious around him, become distracted from his Christian duty. A spiritual thinker is much easier to deal with for them than a spiritual doer or liver. So what he was trying to tell Wormer to do was like just to have him sit there and just do a self-examination. Like he's constantly thinking about whether he's, what his life is about, what he's doing, what, what, what makes him a good Christian, what makes him a bad Christian. And he's not actually practicing or acting out the things that God is required for us to do. Because the Bible, James 1, says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So basically what he's saying is not just focusing on reading and studying and, and getting the word in, but actually act it out. So, what uh, screw tape is trying to tell Warren Williams is have him focus on just that. See, we sometimes as Christians we focus on what the word says. We focus on on how to what what Bible says. If you do this, that happened. If you do this, that happened. But nobody acts out. You know, nobody acts out. Nobody exercises their faith. Nobody works out the word. That's why the Bible says for us to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, not just a reader, but a doer of God's word. Amen. Anyone else have anything want to add to it? Now, in this chapter, it actually also talks about um, doing so so that you won't examine yourself. 
because he doesn't want him to examine himself. And he doesn't want him to see himself as others see him. Right, because he, he's busy focusing on the word. Mm -hmm. And he's not acting it out. He just kind of absorbed and just reading and studying and reading and studying. He's becoming zealous in the word, but he's not taking the time out to actually see what he sees, what he actually sees. He's comparing himself to be this, this person in the book. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's kind of making him think on the, on the same level and mentality as a Pharisee and a Sadducee, not as one who finds himself and really focus on making themselves better. Does that make sense to anyone? Anyone confused or you understand what we're saying? Because it's kind of tricky how this this book that, talks about. It makes it makes sense. Um, I was trying to figure out how we worded it, but it's it's all about. Um, he's more thinking about you know getting examples of the word and other things in the word, certain people characteristics, and he's taking parts of those and you know making it feel like it's of himself. But you know, as guy always says, that you know self examining yourself, but also figuring out the situations in yourself is mm -hmm. what he's not completely doing so he's not dissecting in himself instead he's dissecting in the word and certain parts and people and um basically other things but not in himself i, I kind of get what you're saying it's, it's just worded different it's just worded a little while mm -hmm. because it's easy to point out other things in people right but it's harder to see yourself and that's a part of the transformation so exactly. i can't transform unless i do my, my my inventory of me i'm too busy doing inventory of others based on the right. word but i never put myself in yep that makes exactly sense. Mm -hmm. which leads up to the second temptation and that's where he has him to focus on his mom prayer for his mom yep you know um pray for her soul rather than the rheumatism or the issues that's going on in her life. He's praying based on what the word says. He's praying based on what the word, you know, her, her situation, not the fact that she has needs, you know, he's focusing on her sins and her shortcomings instead of redirecting the prayer, you know, like for instance, you know how we always say, we pray against the spirit of homosexuality. We pray against that office of person, but we don't get to the root causes why this person is living mm -hmm. that life. You know what I'm saying? Like something could have happened to that person at a young age. You know, let, let's pray a prayer of healing for that soul, not for the manifestation of the pain or not for the manifestation of the seed that was planted. Because what we're looking at is the manifestation of the seed. We're not looking at the, the planter of the seed or the seed that was planted. We're seeing the byproduct of that seed that was planted. Does that make sense? So instead of focusing on that, getting to the root cause of the matter, you're focusing on what you see with the, with, on the surface. You're not taking it deeper. So that's what the second uh, method of temptation and the distraction that Screwtape suggests to Wormwood is that he focused on his mother's sins and her shortcomings and not focusing on the source. Right, so he's being general, um, not specific in his prayer. Right, yeah, right. Going down to it. Mm-hmm. How we, how we, how I seen it has stopped. You know, um, keeping his keeping his mind um, off the most, 
like the most elementary things and like a lot of us we go in too far in depth sometimes that's how this is what I kind of got out of it mm -hmm. we go too far in depth and not looking at the simple things and um like you said about the whole homosexuality and rape and stuff like that you know we we jump we jump sometimes a little bit too deep and to the point where we have to figure out okay the simple things okay come out from I think I think the I forgot what part it was in the in the in the book when he was talking about uh, Luberus. Uh, was it Luberus? What was that word? What was that he was? Uh, his mother was dealing with rheumatism. Rheumatism, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was. She was saying. And, um, uh, he was saying the patient should be encouraged to pray for her soul rather than her rheumatism. You know. Instead of praying for healing, he's praying for her soul. Oh, God, save her soul. But, but can you heal her? He's not focusing on the fact that she's in pain and that there is a need, that there's a specific prayer, that a need that she has. But it's, instead of that, he's focusing on the end result, her soul, but not taking time out to focus on her rheumatism that will probably, um, if you know, pray for her rheumatism will bring about a healing, would probably encourage her faith and I trust more in God. You know what I'm saying? If, you, if, if it's a situation where her soul is at stake, why not focus on the simple things? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yep. I got to stop saying it. You know what I'm saying? I sound like um, Marcus. Marcus, you know Marcus, I'm hard, like <laughs> <laughs> Marcus kept saying, you know what I'm saying? That's what he lying. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> you always know what Marcus lying because he says, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. But anyway, um, so that's, 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 the, that's the other strategy or this, the weapon that they use, the second method of temptation, is that he has them focused. And then what happens with that is that, once again, he takes on that, that air of the Pharisees and Sadducees because um, I do believe there's a scripture reference that talks about, about how, how to pray and how it, it used the example in one of these. Oh, um, okay, da, 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 da. we're getting to it. What are the two? Okay, let's go look at number seven. What are the two advantages uh, that Screwtape says will occur by employing this method? Or oh, we already talked about that. It'll keep, the, her, um, it'll keep him focused on his mother's sin, which can be induced to mean any of her actions which are inconvenient or irritating to himself. Secondly, it will encourage the patient to pray for what he wants his mother uh, rather than what her needs are. He starts to pray for what he wants his mother to be rather than what her needs are. And, and that's where the two advantages of, of having this type of mindset when you pray this way, not looking at the situation, not going deep and just praying on the surface, you'll focus on those two things. He won't focus on the need of his mother, but he'll focus on the things that annoy him. And he also focus on her soul and, instead of what she really, really needs. But I want to jump down to number eight, where it says Luke 18, 11. Well, it says 18 and one, but it's actually referring yeah, 18, to 18, 11. 11. Yeah, I had told him that last <laughs> week, that it's Luke 18, 11. So let's look at Luke 18, 11. And it talks about the Pharisee praying and how he said, um, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. 
That is the mindset that Wormwood, that Screwtape is suggesting to Wormwood to put in his mind, to have him pray in that vein, that I don't do this. So when he reads the word and he's like, oh, adulterers, I don't commit adultery. Oh, thieves, I don't commit, I'm not, I'm not a murderer, you know, and he's, he's comparing himself to the word instead of looking at him and saying, I am a sinner. Save my yeah. brain. Sometimes people like to measure themselves against others rather than the word. Exactly. And that's where, that's what he's trying to keep him, his focus at. He's trying to keep him to stay in that mindset. So how should we approach God when we pray? When we're praying for others, how should we approach God when we're praying for others? <laughs> how should we pray when we approach God? Somebody tell me something. I mean, y'all all know the answer. <laughs> well, we have to have humility, number one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We should always come humble. The Pharisees came all bold and I'm God. I'm glad I'm not all this. I'm glad I ain't got that going on. God, I puffed thank up. you. Yeah, puffed up, high-minded, and that's that's the mindset that Wormwood at Screwtape is suggesting to Wormwood. That is what he wants him to do. That's the attitude he wants him to pray. He don't want him to pray with humility. He wants him to come with this high-minded. I'm all that in a bag of chips. I ain't have as bad as this one. This one's doing this, and that one's doing that over there, and I ain't doing all that. You know, that's the type of attitude he wants him to have. But we all know that that is incorrect, that we are to be humble, that we are to go to God in a state of humility. Just like the other, like the, the publican said, he was beating, um, let's go back to Luke 18, 11. Um, look at verse 12. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You know, this is what the Pharisees are saying. I do this. I do that. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I'm there every Sunday morning. I'm there at Bible study. I'm there at prayer service on Saturday mornings. I get up and I do all that. I, 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 I. But the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. And this is in red, so you know Jesus was saying that. See, it's in red. So this is a parable that Jesus was saying <laughs> in Luke. So having that type of attitude, having that high, mighty, puffed up attitude is not going to get you anywhere. Your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down. It ain't cracked the sky. It ain't going to heaven. God ain't hearing it. He ain't paying you not damn bit of mind. So um, that is the advantage of that. Okay. All right. So the third temptation what is the third temptation? Can anybody tell me what the third temptation is that could distract him? The habits of the mother, things that she does to that annoys him. Exactly. It makes it, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, and it makes it seem like in his mind that she's doing it on purpose just to ignore, annoy him. But that's a part of who she is. 
Yep. And and so he doesn't see himself as being annoying. He just thinks it's just her and that she's doing it to him on purpose. So it's still taking the focus off of himself and concentrating on her little idiosyncrasies and things that he doesn't like about her that gets on his nerve. Yep. Yep. That's the third. The, the double standard. Right. A double standard. Yep. That's the third method. So I know that we have annoying habits that irritate us. Um, which anyone want to share a, a habit that they have that you think irritate others? I do. I know one. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm, a neat, I'm a neat freak. I know that gets on everybody's nerves. I got to have everything in this place at all times. <laughs> okay. What were you going to say, Pastor John? I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> I'm curious what you're about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have one. I suck my teeth. I know I have that. I know that. And I serve my coffee. I go, when I drink my coffee, I, I slurp my coffee. And I suck my teeth. See, I'm being honest. I know I got irritating habits. Anyone else want to share an irritating habit that they do that they know irritates other people? Am I the only one? I hawk because I have a chronic post-nasal drip. I know that irritates you. Yeah, it does. God, it does. <laughs> Joy has an irritation. She don't want to share. I know. She don't like when people chew loud. She hates when people chew loud. She sure do, because I like to chew her, her ear. That's <laughs> why I'm going to pray that devil up off you. I chew, I chew right up at her ear. Hey, Joy. And I can't help it because I chew loud. She's like looking at me like, Mom. I'm like, what? I'm eating. But yeah, she hates when people chew loud. Uh, just, you know, just a little stuff there. Okay. So now we have another method. There is one last method. <laughs> what? Like he said, she don't like people breathing. <laughs> what? People breathing on her? <laughs> yep. Ooh, you know what? I hate Zykea. Talk about breathing. I hate when people breathe on the phone and they're talking and they go, <sighs> And then breathing Yeah, that creeps me out. I would oh, hang up. I hate it. I was taking the phone like this. Like, I would stop hang up. breathing on the phone. I hate that. I hate when people breathe in the phone. So don't oh. call me. Kyle, you call me breathing on the phone. They just practice preaching. That's what they're trying to do. <laughs> what? <laughs> they're trying to practice preaching. Oh, no. No. It just, they're like... Yeah. And you hear them, it just, oh. I know some people do that. They like swallow the mic when they're preaching. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, please don't. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, what's, the, what's the fourth? There's another method of temptation. Okay, it's, it, go, it ties in with the other one. You exaggerate things that they do, that's a habit that they do that bothers you. The other part of that temptation the fourth method is that they 
like you said about um, they say something and you take it the wrong way, like the double standard. Like if somebody, you know, the double standard, like they take it for, they, they take, they, it, they misinterpret what you're saying. Like, it's like, you know, we always say it's not how you say it. It's not what you said, it's how you say it. Like, you know, you may say, I'm going to the store. And to you, you may say, I'm going to the store. Or you may snap, or they may say, like, you're going, I'm going to the store. Like, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? They misinterpret what you're saying to a point where they think it's insulting or annoying the way you said it. And you're not really saying it that way. That's what you were saying earlier, uh, Prophet. Yeah, because he talked about the tone and the context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the fourth, mm -hmm. that's the fourth but, method. Mm -hmm. But but real quick, I, I want to go back up for a second. In that last paragraph, and what I thought was so interesting, it says, in civilized life, domestic hatred usually expresses itself by saying things which would appear quite harmless on paper. The words are not offensive, but in such a voice or such a moment, Where you they at? are not far. I'm on the, um, the very end of the, um, the letter. Oh, okay. I see it. Okay. I see it. In civilized so life. Okay. Yeah, so it's talking about in civilized life, domestic hatred, that is so strong. But as we get down and we start pointing out, you know, uh, the way somebody sets up the tone, and <clears throat> sometimes we forget that our tone can be offensive. We don't see what we say as being offensive because we know in our heart, our mind, mm -hmm. how we intend it to be. But what we don't, we're not on the receiving end, so we don't know how someone is receiving that. And so then we go back and forth. Well, I didn't mean it that way. Well, why did you say, you know, we go back and forth. But when later on, the paragraph talks about tone and context. Mm -hmm. So we can say the smallest thing, and, and it sounds offensive to someone um, based on the tone. And then the, the, the part of the conversation where, where, that, where that conversation lands, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Because you can, it's the way you say it, you know, like. It's just how you, <laughs> there's, I mean, I could use a whole bunch of examples of how things were said, but the way it's said, you know, it could have, it could take on a whole nother meaning. It could be offensive, even though you mean it well, you weren't trying to be offensive. You were just trying to be encouraging, but it's just the way you said it, it just didn't come out right. And so, and, and, you know, it'll twist and turn and by the time it hits your ears, there's a whole nother interpretation of what they said. And I'm laughing because me and Pastor John be having these arguments like that all the time. And they'd be like, that is not how I said it. I'm like, yes, you did. You said it like, because I did you not. always. <laughs> right, that's exactly. I don't always. Right, because he'll say, he'll use examples like, you always doing something. I go, I don't always do it. Always <laughs> mean I do it every time. I don't always do it. So it's literal. <laughs> When people say that, they don't mean literally always. It's figurative. No, but I take it as you were saying, I always do it. And that's, a, that's, oh. a, that's an example. That's an example <laughs> of how. Oh, my. Because a lot of times the word hits us differently depending on our state of mind and our state of our, of our spirit. Exactly. So, 
So you could be thinking about something or going going through your own thing or whatever about something else. And then he says, always, you're like, what do you mean always? And all of a sudden you, you, you flick off because <laughs> you're somewhere. He doesn't know you're there, right? And he said, that's not what I mean. You're like, oh, yes, you do. You know, and you're going back and forth. But at the end of the day, you received it how you were feeling at the moment. And he intended it on how he was feeling. So nobody knows how they really feel it. <laughs> and so now the argument becomes the word and not the condition of the heart. Not, the condition, time, that makes sense. not the situation or the scenario around it. It's just that word always came out of his mouth. And I took it as if he was trying to say, I'm always constantly doing thus and so. But yeah, that's, an, that's a very good example of how, once again, it's not, it's not what you said, but it's how you said it. And he emphasized always. And I did not like that. So now let's, let's, let's wrap this up. <laughs> Give me an example of a, a expression, a phrase. This is, this is, we found funny, me and Pastor John, we were laughing about this. An example of something being said with the express purpose of offending, yet having a grievance when offense is taken. Like, say, like, what are some of the things that you could tell, like, it's kind of being sarcastic, pretty much. Like, can someone give me an example of a, of a phrase that could be really sarcastic, but when you, but you could always say, no, I just, I'm just saying da 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 Can someone think of one off the top of their head of how uh, uh, you could say something and really be sarcastic, but not, but kind of like throw a, throw a uh, uh, low blow in there? Those examples, anyone else got an example? Anyone else want to share? Joy, you being awfully quiet tonight. What you doing in there? Oh, there's one I just thought about when okay. somebody said, oh, oh, you look so pretty today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I ain't look pretty yesterday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one, Prophets. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There is a lot of them. Anyone else got another example? Okay, last question. Um, at the end of the letter, Screwtape wants Wormwood to search out whether the mother is jealous of her son's recent conversion. How is this similar to the story of the elder brother and the parable of the prodigal son? Who can tell me the, the, the comparison? How is it similar? Wasn't she was saved? She was saved pretty much since the time he was a child, and so like it's similar because now that he has found salvation, it's like a big, a big whoop. But to her, it's just like you know, I could have taught you Christianity from a child, but you rejected it. And now you go off and do your thing. Now you come into it. Now it's like a big deal. And that's kind of the mentality and the attitude that the, the brother of the prodigal son had. Like, you know, we both were raised under our father. He taught us, you know, our Christian life. But you go off and do what you want to do, spend all his money, and then come back. And all of a sudden, you have a feast. You know, mm -hmm. but in all actuality, you know, what the father had was already you know, the older brothers, it was already his. And it's pretty much the same with, with her. Your salvation is, you, you've always had your salvation. You know, 
your 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 son is now coming back into salvation. Salvation was already yours. That mm-hmm. type of thing. That's how I kind of. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm I'm trying to. My brain is like fried. <laughs> That's good. It's good. Fried brain and all. <laughs> That's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> that was rude. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to say it's not good when a brain's not fried. <laughs> oh, last week wasn't as good, huh? Okay. <laughs> okay, you know what? Oh, you just got a spirit of offense. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. <laughs> good one, Pastor. You got a spirit of offense. <laughs> okay, so, okay. Our family members can often be the ones who struggle the most with our newfound faith and Christian conduct. You know, um, even though the elder brother, you know, was there all the whole time and now they come back and making a big, you said uh, elder, they come back and making a big to do out of it. You know, you know, you got some family members that, that aren't saved that see you now saved and see that you change and see that you're living a life that's different. And they have this look on them like, okay, um, they can't get with your newfound religion. They don't, they can't get with your conversion. So they see how you changed. And I'm talking in terms of unsaved as opposed to saved. Like you have some family members that aren't saved and they see you how you used to be and now here you are, this changed person, and you, and now you think you're holier than thou, or you think you're such a much now that you found the Lord. And I remember how you used to be. I remember this, you know, you you went out here and did this, and you used to do this, and you used to do that. Now you want to come back and act like you know, you know, it's all you know a big thing. Um, so that's another uh uh idea of how you can look at it as the elder brother, not necessarily saying that he's saved. But just like, you know, how you have family members that can't relate to your newfound salvation. Yeah. The example I had was like, um, just me personally, myself, like knowing like older saints, like older people that have been in church for so long, kind of like don't listen as much to like the youngest, younger, younger, new generation. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, because they've been in church for so long, and everybody, oh, who are they to come in and you know, do this in the church and that in the church, like those, like that's like one little example. I guess you can think of, like a lot of a lot of I'm older in terms of, of people saying. do get upset, like when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because of this, you know, it can cause friction. You know, it can cause uh, animosity, it can cause friction, and jealousy can brew from it because of the fact that you know you 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 have a relationship with god and, and you're doing more like in the case of an older saint and a new saint you know the new saint comes in on fire they got you know got new revelation you know you know you got a saint that gets kind of settled and old in their ways and this is how we always done things this is how we do things around here but yet now you here you come you got a young person that's that's on fire and god's giving them a different revelation to give them a different mindset they have a different outlook and you know and they want to kind of revamp some things or or or, or 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 elevate the minds of the people and you know and they're kind of stuck down here but but God's trying to bring them up here and then you have somebody who's young spirited and and really doing a work 
for the ministry and they're bringing the people up. Then you got those that's been here. Like, you know, we've been, I've been saved since you was itching in your daddy's pants and and da, 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 da. And you know, and so that friction can come in because of the fact of the newfound religion and when they newfound salvation with God. Yeah, that can also happen too when you have churches and they have a new pastor. Yes. And the pastor has a whole different, God has given the pastor a new vision, yep. but the people can't catch on because they're so busy. What about what they did 40 years ago, how they've been doing? We didn't have women's service with, and we invited so-and-so for the last 20 years. Well, how about you get a new speaker? You know, they, they don't, they can't see the vision of the other person. So they go against it and they fight against it. And they eventually, or, you know, sometimes can miss out on the blessing of the change because right. they're so caught up in what the way they are so used to doing and not moving with God and God is doing something different. They can't perceive it. They right. just can't. Yep, because they're stuck in their ways. You know, I didn't say you can't put new wine in, what is it, new wine in old wine skin? Am I saying that backwards? Put no, you're saying, it, you're saying it right. But they, you know, they even say in corporate America, you know, how do you change the culture of the of the of the business how do you change the culture of the church it takes years it's not something that happens overnight and so we have you know because some people are not going to be on board some people are happy for the change and some people are just flat footed like nope i've got the arms folded i'm not receiving that i'm not I'm doing it but so right so even you know in corporate america you know and, and i'm sure marquisa knows this about changing the culture you know of the organization period or the culture of the people so it's very hard it's hard it's not even corporate America. That's a job. Any leadership, <laughs> any leader can relate to that. <laughs> Trying to get the exactly. people mindset. It's a rough one. Like, yo, we can't be doing it like this. But they don't know. You know, that's, yeah. All right. Anyone else have anything else they want to say? Any other things they want to add to? Because our time is up. I tell you, this, trying. I was trying to rush through this. Well, we knew chapter three was going to be long. We knew that. That's yeah, chapter three was good. Chapter four is good, too. Yes, it is. <laughs> so we'll just pick up on chapter four on, um, we lost somebody. Who did we lose? We lost Joy Bells. Um, we'll pick up on chapter four. I mean, letter number four on next week. I don't want to, I'm going to stop right here because that was the last question for uh, letter number three. Um, I don't know if anyone has any comments or anything they want to say. Um, anyone uh, not enjoying this? I'm enjoying it. I hope you guys are enjoying this, and I hope you're yes. getting something out of this. Um, oh, somebody say something. Sound like somebody did, but they went muffled. They went kind of out. But I, I, I hope that you know you guys are enjoying this. This to me is really, really good. I think this is a good study. Um, study uh, outline for our Bible study. So we are going to pick up on letter number four on next week. Um, anyone has anything they want to add or any announcements or anything they want to say? Uh, Pastor Marquisa, we thank you so much for joining us and we congratulate you again on your newfound position amen we are so excited and we will continuously pray for you in your new endeavor as you lead god's people amen we thank god for you um i thank god for my um nephew-in-law i saw uh 
Ian Quarterman on here. Uh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Give him the bottle. I just want you to unmute. I know you didn't have to unmute. We just wanted to just say hi to you. you on. I know you got you got Ian and Aiden twins crying in the background. Got that. Got your got your wife yelling. Got Maya doing her thing and, and Mikey in his own little world. So I know you got a lot going on there. But we just want to acknowledge you being with us and thank you for joining us on tonight. We pray that it was a blessing to you, that it encouraged you, that it helped you as you continue to walk with the Lord. Amen. So if there anything else, any other announcement, anything you want to say? Um, if not, all hearts and minds are clear. We're going to go ahead and dismiss. Um, we're going to ask Pastor, would you go ahead and dismiss us, please, Pastor John? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this lesson on today, God, and we pray, God, that you open up our hearts and our minds to be able to fully receive it and be able to apply it to our lives. God, help us to continue to grow in you and to have understanding of our shortcomings as well as the things that we do well and the things that we excel at, God, so that we can actually build upon our shortcomings, God. And God, we thank you, Lord God, for just continuing to speak to us, to use us, to lead us and guide us. And we forever give your name, the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So you guys have a blessed evening. We will be back on next week. Amen. Now, I am recording these, so um, some of the playbacks will become available shortly. I'm just trying to figure out how I can upload them where how I want to do them, but they are being recorded. So God bless you guys and have a good one. Thank you for joining us on tonight. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired. If you desire to be a blessing to the ministry, you may do so by sending a love gift to www.paypal.me forward slash VLCC or through our cash app, which is the dollar sign VLCC Life. We also invite you to stop by our website by clicking on the link. May God bless you and may your day always be victorious.